Welcome to the Care Exchange, the Skills for Care podcast for managers in social care. I'm Pia Refde Burton. And I'm Wendy Adams. So today we have a special guest. We have Dr. Claire Bates uh, coming on the podcast. Um, Dr. Claire Bates have set up and runs an organisation called Supported Loving. She set this up in 2017 as a response to her PhD that was exploring relationships for people with learning disabilities. And after that, she initially set up a social media campaign um, that sort of led on to uh, supporting love and becoming a network for anybody interested in supporting personal relationships with people who receive support. Um, supported loving also um, includes a network, network meetings, webinars, toolkit for staff, training and signposting to sort of good resources. Uh, Claire's also worked with CQC and advised them on a number of reports, including promoting sexual safety through empowerment and uh, relationship and sexualities in adult social care services. Supported Loving is hosted by Choice Support, who are a care provider organisation that support autistic people, people with learning disabilities um, and or mental health needs across England. Dr Claire Bates still works for Choice Support and is also an honorary research associate at the University of Kent's Tizard Centre and a visiting research fellow at Manchester Metropolitan University. Yeah, so it's going to be a different topic uh, talking to Claire, so, but I'm really looking forward to it. So on with the show. So welcome to the Care Exchange, Claire. Thank you. Great to be here. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yep, yep, I'm good. That's really good. Yeah, no, so we heard in the introduction there a bit of a history of, of supported loving and yeah, I know it was initially a response to your PhD on exploring relationships with people with learning disabilities, but it's really moved on from then, hasn't it? Yeah, so, so as I said, it started off just as a, as a small social media campaign. So my PhD looked at relationships, as it said, it was predominantly at the time for people with a learning disability. Um, but what, what I found was that, you know, the, the, the real thing about it was that if, if we didn't have, if people didn't have good support around relationships, then they either ended up in really unsafe relationships or they ended up with, you know, not having relationships. And, and that was, you know, that covered like a wide range of relationships from, you know, what we would traditionally think as a, a relationship as a fully sexual, um, living together, maybe getting married sort of relationship to the relationships that were much more platonic, but were still incredibly meaningful to people. Um, so yeah, good support was really like the the fundamental, um, yeah. the fundamental thing that kept, that, that, that supported that. And, and there wasn't anywhere for staff to go. There was no, there was nowhere for people working in social care that we could see to get advice on. You know, there might be things around sex, but there was very little around sort of supporting relationships um, and sort of sexuality more broadly. Um, so yeah, we started off just with a blog with people that we felt were 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 really important to write blogs for us, and then it just kind of blew up from there and <laughs> to 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 a national network of over fifteen hundred. Um, passionate people um, about this topic so yeah it's been it's been a wild ride and is it is it so I know initially started for people with learning disabilities but is what you're providing what support of loving is providing now is that just for learning disabilities no so we wrote so we have a toolkit on our website um, which covers a lot a, 
many topics, as many topics as we can think of. And we tried to write them um, as, as there are a couple that are learned disability based, but we tried to write them as sort of as general as possible because what I found is the longer I do this work, um, and certainly in part of the training pack that we developed for skills for care, is it didn't matter a lot of the time what group of people social care staff were working with. A lot of the the, the issues and the the, the, the the areas they needed help in were very similar. So there was, you know, it didn't matter whether you were working with older adults, um, people with life-limiting conditions, people with a learning disability. There was often issues around staff values and the impact that had on support. There was issues around maybe families and families, um, family maybe disapproving of partners or of situations. Um, there was issues around mental capacity for lots of people. Um, again, that could be fluctuating capacity or capacity more generally. Um, and there was issues around helping people to develop relationships or to maintain um, relationships. So we found and, and a lack of resources. So we found there was it, it didn't it didn't matter like for many people who they were working with. There was often sim real similarities um, between some of the challenges that they were facing. So at sort of supported loving, we generally do work with people with a learning disability. But I've been, you know, I've done work with teams working with people living with um, mental health conditions. I've done work, you know, we've members do work with teams working with older adults. Um, so we, you know, it has, it's definitely broadened. Um, but for, for for my background, my background is yeah, predominantly predominantly learning. Yeah. And more recently, sort of branching out into or working more with as well. Okay. So, yeah. And and why do you think, from a manager's perspective, why do you think it's important they focus on this? So when I start my training sessions, regardless of what group I'm working with, I always get people to to write on write down um, the things that are most important to them, um, and then we all we all go around as a group and share what's most important to us. Um, the, and and the staff I speak to, where whoever they wherever they're from, whoever they work with. When we talk about what's important to us, it's our most important. It's often our partners, our children, our close friends, our pets. We all have a pet. Um, and then when we talk about, and then and then when we think about, you know, well, the people we support, what would be most important to them? If it's not relationships, then are we saying that the people that we support are somehow different to us? Um, so it always kind of fascinates me that this topic has, you know, CPC only published their guidance on this in 2019. It kind of fascinates me that it's the most important thing in most of our lives. Yeah. And yet it's the thing we don't talk about very often in social care. Um, and, it's, you know, it's one of our most basic human rights. And sometimes I, I sort of say to people, like, you know, in a, in a controversial way, like if, well, if we're not seeing relationships as really central to our work, then are we seeing people as less than human if that if we don't see them as the same as us and needing real deep meaningful intimate connections in our lives so i feel like it, it is it is a really important um it is a really important topic um and and it provides so many benefits like having you know at supported loving because i because we do work around sex people think all the time that you know i spend all my life talking about sex and stuff and I don't I spend most of my work most of the work I do with staff teams or with people um when I do work directly with with people mainly with learning disabilities it's around you know it's around how 
do we help people to have meaningful relationships because the relationships are the most are the most important um thing and there's been so many benefits to having um high, you know quite high quality relationships intimate relationships in terms of our physical mental and emotional well-being um and financial well-being as well but we don't we is less important but in terms of our physical emotional and um mental well-being there's a massive um there's a massive benefit and i think that's why you know it, it, it's actually now recognizing the care act as an eligible need like the reduction of isolation yeah. around relationships so i think it is really important but it's one of the things that's a little bit harder to do and it's hard one time I was asked to sort of quantify that like, well have people got you know how can we quantify if people got more relationships and it's like it's a hard thing to quantify because it's not about numbers it's about quality it's about the quality of those relationships and an intimate relationship whether it's sexual or not is often an area in our lives where we get the most positive um benefits from that I think what's interesting about what you're talking about is about managers maybe thinking about this in a more proactive manner, because I think quite often what happens in my experience in services is we only start addressing this in a very reactive way. And you mentioned before about maybe when families, you know, when families disapprove of something that's happening. And I think often that's when things get addressed when it starts to become an issue but it sounds like what you're talking about is that this should almost be part of that care planning and part of that original you know part of that whole discussion about with people about their their lives and their care and support yeah I mean if I suddenly had to have social care support say I I was in an accident maintaining my relationships would be the number one thing I'd want help with to see mm-hmm. my friends my family my partner you know I want it to be the number one thing that people were doing so I yeah it, it's one of those things and we, and we you know we, we we believe really strongly that it should be you know CPC is saying now it should form part of assessments when people move into you know access care services it should be it should be in assessments and the care act says it should be in social care assessments so I've I you know the fact that it isn't and we know that it isn't I was I was an auditor <clears throat> I watched that I worked for um um choice support got what I work for then I worked for choice support um and I, I used to work in our quality team for many years um doing audits and I said I think I would you know I would go around and I would look at look at people's support and often we'd hear about family we talk a lot in support plans about families and there was very minimal in there about who are people's friends and how we, and you know, it wasn't just choice support. I used to do audits for other organisations externally, and there wouldn't there wouldn't be a lot around friends. And and if someone had a partner, and I think a lot of managers would say we do the relationship bit okay. So you know, lots of cases where somebody might be living in a a a, a care home, you know, managers will encourage the um the partner to come to visit whatever. And I think they do that bit but I think where that then stops is they often don't take that the step further and have that discussion about the intimacy the physical intimacy part of that and I suspect you know there'll be managers sitting thinking yeah I've got people in my care service who do have a you know a partner who comes to visit them but we've never asked that question about what would we need to do to help facilitate intimacy 
if that's something you and your your partner want to do because we know care homes don't have locks on doors and yeah one of my one of my one of my really memorable I'd like to say it's really memorable I can't remember where I was it was in a big posh it was I was at a big posh care event it was one that I wouldn't I think it was yeah lots of different like all mainly working in older adult services and I went there I did my presentation I was talking about overnight guests and I asked in the room how many people in their organisation allow um, overnight guests to come, like, you know, so partners come to stay. Everyone put their hand up, nearly. And I said, how many people do actually support couples where one person comes, you know, they come and stay and they stay in a double room? No one put their hand up. And I asked them why. And they went, oh, that, oh that we, haven't got, we, haven't got, we haven't got a room where everyone's got single beds. So it was like, you know, even if the, the, the organisation was, was, was open to that, the fact that everyone had single beds, um, and I just think, like in of itself, like single, it, that that sets a real precedent for what you think about that person and their what you expect for that person because you're not even yeah. providing a double bed, and and I think that just goes even further back to like what would we would if we lived in our own home, would any of us sleep sleep in a single bed? Would we buy into our flat, our our new flat? Would we put a single bed in there for ourselves? We wouldn't, would we? Just because very you know it's yeah, just, most people have a double bed yeah even if you're you right yeah everyone has a double bed you just think like why would and and you know at choice support we've committed to like you know if we provide the furniture you know we provide furniture for people so that people are are offered a double bed as default you know um because yeah it's you know even if people want to have someone stay over that they're, they're it's a very you know that's a great excuse for people to say oh we haven't got any room yeah where would they sleep um, yeah, no, yeah. people have lounges where couples I've heard I've spoke to the staff I spoke to at this conference they had lounges where partners could go and sit and have meals together and be alone which is lovely but they didn't provide that opportunity for them to be able to like lay and have a cuddle together yeah and that's so important isn't it yeah and I suppose the other the other thing that goes alongside that is having that having that open culture and I'm also thinking about um you know having open conversation about you know sexual preference and you know it's like the rest of society it's such an, we have such an open society and such an accepting society in terms of people choosing their their partner and how they identify themselves but sometimes we hear that people people going into care homes and I'm particularly thinking about older people care homes that people don't feel that they can be who they are I suppose that yeah. kind of goes alongside it, doesn't it? You know, are we, you know, asking that as part of assessment or is that too early or do we ask along, you know, when we're getting to know that person, you know, what is your preference? You know, who yeah. are the people you've been close to in your lives? Are they things that we can do to support you with, with maintaining that? Yeah, yeah. I think it's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we mentioned earlier about, sort of kind of staff's fears or and family's fears what are the sort of things that managers can do to help the staff team if they are worried if they have fears if they have misconceptions about what's okay and what's not okay yeah so I thought about this um I've been thinking about this question um and, and I think it's about as you say about the open cultures so CQC's sexual safety for empowerment one of the main and um, that report they brought out one of the main findings of that was around open cultures um and 
and it's it, absolutely like people if there's an open culture people are less likely to experience sexual abuse they're more likely to have their relationships and sexuality supported and we said like you know managers need to make sure that they create that kind of culture and have like an honest approach like we, when I do my training I try and say to people it's a judgment-free zone you can ask any question there's been a lot of changes in recent years around language and how people identify and you know things like pronouns and 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 and, and we often in our training I say to people like this isn't there's no cancel culture here like you can ask a question and people are gonna you know and we you know we want everyone to be honest want people to talk about their feet talk about their anxieties ask questions if they don't understand um and and just everyone just just try and have that 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 space where we can ask a question without feeling being judged if we don't know what something means or we don't understand or we want to talk about something that's worrying that's concerning us um and just being very honest um and, and we said to managers leading by example so being um being open themselves to, to having conversations i'm always kind of surprised sometimes about how you know i'll go to i'll go and support people in in teams and and and, and sometimes you know people just even just saying some words I, I'll give an example where someone was talking about someone was touching their penis on the bus and they were like, don't touch your trousers. You mustn't touch your trousers. And the manager was saying, I don't know if I can say penis. I was like, you can say penis, like you're allowed to say it. You know, and just that kind of like, you know, just being really embarrassed. I said, the more you sort of have these conversations, the less you're going to feel embarrassed. And if you're, you know, if you're projecting that to your staff that you're not embarrassed, this is okay, we can talk about these things then that makes staff feel more confident about discussing the, these kind of things too. Um, and we sort of said around sort of placing a high, import, a high importance on these things, you know, like really placing a high importance around supporting people around their relationships, um, around supporting sexuality. Um, and, and, and one of the most, one of the areas where we sort of say, when I've done research with staff and I've spoken to staff teams um, and also in developing the Skills for Care Act where we spoke to over 100 staff, um, across all care groups um, most organizations most people were scared they were going to get in trouble if they did stuff you know like spoke to somebody directly about touching their penis you know yeah. they were getting in trouble yeah um, um and then, can I say this what can I say what, what can I not say and we said I said often I'd ask people what does your organization say about this and they're like oh, I don't know I said what does your policy say about this and they're like I don't know and I will get policy sent to me I I should have collected some of them because some of them were amazing. They talked about, you know, a sex and relationships policy that doesn't actually mention the word sex the whole way through it. So it's like, you know, they'll talk about friendships and relationships and it leaves staff in a really difficult place where they don't know what the organisation says. And I'll just use have an overnight guest as an example. Like we have that in our policy that choice support, um, you know, absolutely allows and encourages you know people can lead their lives they want if they want guests they can have them if there's any specific risk issues then that will be dealt with but as a you know as, a, as, an, as an open statement we're, we're completely for that um but it's it's like now our staff know that that's our view on that and I said if an organization doesn't set out their views in a policy staff can find it hard to know where they stand so and by having that policy they feel backed up by that organization that, that, that this company is supportive of relationships and sexuality and the, the organisation will be behind you if you want to support people in a, that's in line with our policy around these areas. And I think it gives staff that permission. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Permission that this is okay, that this is a topic that it's okay to talk about and it's okay to 
support people with and it's and, it, and it's what we expect of you as our social care staff working with people to help them lead full active lives and that includes their sexual emotional and intimate needs so yeah I absolutely think that and I think training is another another one yeah and so just just going back to that writing of having a policy and procedure because I, I know what you're saying and I think sometimes there may even be a policy and procedure and people just don't realize that they are they haven't read it or they don't really know what that what it, what it says if you don't have one if you're sitting listening to this and you think well I don't think we have one how, how do you go about writing one we have a toolkit on our website with a webinar oh. um, just, just <laughs> on that uh, so if you want to go to uk, you can go and have a look at um our, our uh, we've got an example on there uh, about how to write a policy um you know we've even got a template there um I, the only thing i'd say about policies is kind of be aware because the law changes quite a lot but we just set out in there you know what are the key areas people would need support and what is our organizational stance on that what are our values around supporting relationships you know what what do we I mean, it'd be hard to say everything in a policy, but we sort of set out broadly, you know, the sort of the key areas. How do we feel about supporting people? You know, what, what's your organisation's view on like pornography? Can they have that? Can they access that through the Wi-Fi? You know, those, yeah. kind of, you know, that, you know, if they're not paying for it, the organisation's paying for it. Is that, you know, do you have blocks on things? Like what, you know, what are, you know, and, and, and how, what, what are our views on overnight guests? What are our views on, you know, what do we assess? What, what do we include in our support plans? You know things like that, yeah. but you can have a look. We've got a brilliant, uh, we've got a webinar on that, and the toolkit page on how to develop and some policies, some draft policies there. Um, but I think it's about being, you know, thinking about what are the key issues your staff face, and how would your organisation like staff to be supporting people? What's your values around that as an organisation, and how do you support people? Um, how would you like your the people you work with to be supported in that area? And I suppose with that going through that in sort of staff meeting or something to sort of so people yeah. know that it exists because I think that's it, sometimes it's not big policy manual in the office and nobody nobody looks at it so it's making sure that people understand and, and so they feel feel supported by the policy yeah. and procedure but I think as well it's about so I can only give examples at choice support here but at, at choice support we've kind of made it it's not just in our policy we use examples about relationships in it's in our induction it's in it's the first we talk about it we show supported loving's videos we you know we talk about it in our induction and we give examples throughout our training um so say like on our risk management one we talk about relationships it's in our safeguarding one and that's um, that bit about embedding it in a, in a culture isn't it because what we don't want is organizations to develop a policy and procedure that sits in a file and still nobody talks about it yeah <laughs> because absolutely. it might be written in the policy and procedure but we're still not discussing it and i think we need to recognise that for the workforce, this, you know, this can be a difficult conversation to have, can't it? I mean, what we know from our skills for care data is, you know, our workforce is predominantly female, our workforce, our social care workforce is predominantly, you know, over 50, over 50, you know, we've, we've got a lot of an older workers. And actually, they may be, and this is maybe a bit of a sweeping generalisation, but they may be of a generation where some of this stuff wasn't talked about. Yeah. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. For a lot of our workforce, some of the changes that have happened in, in recent years, all for the better around what pronouns people choose to use, etc. That's 
that's a very unknown world for people, isn't it? And for, yeah. for a lot of our staff, and it's about how do we, how do we create that safe space for people to be able to have those conversations in the same way that you were just describing mm. happens in the training. Yeah, and one of the things that we've done at Choice Support, which is you know, which is completely you know, it's free, it didn't cost us anything, is we have an LGBT um, group, um, and we anyone can join it and again that that that's where we sort of got the thing where we all put our pronouns in our in our signatures and that's like an organizational policy and we talk about how as a culture we can make spaces for conversations about supporting lgbtq plus people and supporting our lgbtq plus staff um we had a float at london pride this year um so it's about you know as an organization kind of showing that we have a commitment to supporting people you know and, and and having that and having a space for those conversations and we also have another group around diverse voices, which is about supporting people from black, brown and ethnic minorities. And again, yeah, about yeah. how we support people, the people we support from, from those backgrounds and our staff. So it's about, you know, as an organisation about making spaces to have some of those more, more um, sometimes, you know, I guess, difficult conversations sometimes with people, like people, where people, people are very scared now. I think, you know, we do, you know, we have a council culture where people do get scared to say the wrong yeah. thing and they're going to be you know and, and sometimes people just generally ask questions you know, I do stuff with people and you know people ask what does gender fluid mean can you explain this term I've heard it or, yeah. or I don't know what it means you know and trying to explain to people some of the you know, we do sometimes go through the you know go through terms and things and help people to understand because it's been a lot as you said for the better but it's been been a been a lot of changes in the last 10 years i think around yeah absolutely and if you've mentioned training a few times and and we know that some providers don't have the same sort of kind of budget for for training so if if a manager again is listening to this and currently you know are looking to have a policy or procedure but also want to do other things so you mentioned a couple of things there but if you would if you're not able to provide training are there other things that managers can do yeah i mean i think i think it is difficult i know the pressures on social care and training everyone thinks that their training is the most important yeah obviously. um i think i think i think by by i think just i just want to say before i move on to what they could do i think training people where possible should should definitely be a priority because yep. it does equip that we know staff are in these difficult situations we know the, the sort of situations staff are facing i know that from my work they are difficult and by not giving them the tools that you know we wouldn't let people deliver medication without giving them some training so i think yep. we end up in difficult situations so i think where people can be trained it absolutely should be seen as a priority even if you can't train everyone, some champions that could link yeah. in with other networks that can support them around this. So there are, um, so there's at least a couple of people in the organisation who have been trained who could help. Um, we said as well, you know, like there's no, you go on a training, I go on great training, I come away and, and then if it's not supported in the organisation, I hate that when I train people and I think, oh, is their organisation going to support this? It just disappears. So I think there's a lot that can be done that's not um, training that can help embed this. And we've said about making sure that it's on the agenda. So in team meetings, making sure there's a space where we talk about what are people's relation, you know, about relationships and sexuality, 
you know, maybe bringing some, looking at some of the website, you know, looking at some of the, the skills for care training pack, like maybe doing bits of it in the training session. Yeah. I often yeah. help teams and do like the values exercise that's in the training pack, you know, helping teams think about their values and how that might be impacting on how they support people, like that reflective practice. Um, looking at case studies, you know, maybe looking at, we used to have supervision where we looked at situations where something maybe, I can't remember what they were called now, where something didn't, um, like a reflective sort of practice meeting where we'd look at something that happened that maybe could have been done better. Yeah. Like, yeah. That learning process. So if there'd been anything around a safeguarding or situation and near miss around relationships or sexuality, looking at that as a team together, um, looking, um, having it in supervisions as a standard practice um, around asking staff around are there any issues around this. Because you know, making sure there's a space for staff to talk about it, um, having links to um, resources um, and, and staff having access to them. So if there's situations happening um, in, and you need support, as I said, there are there are places you can go for support. Um, and, you know, the Girls for Care website's got resources. Our website's got resources. And there's Enhance the UK's got resources on sort of supporting people with more physical needs. You've got Sharda as well that works with people um, from a range of backgrounds. Um, so there are places to go where you could get resources or links to resources. Um, and, and, and having it as a, as a regular part of review meetings um, and having it in support plans. Um, but people, I guess, just keeping it on the agenda and just, you know, if you can't provide training for staff, are there resources you can share with them? Are there, you know, are there ways you can, as a team, become more reflective on how you're supporting people, using opportunities for um, learning, um, learning from 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 experience? Um, yeah, I suppose. I suppose also, kind of, um, I don't know, having sort of kind of activities that you know, having date nights or you know, speed dating or you know, or offering people an opportunity to go out and meet people and and stuff like oh, that. So it's it, it's sort of kind of part of the activity timetable. Or if you know, if you're an older, older people and you have like a day service, or if you're you know, a smaller service, that it's it's part of that. This is some of the things that we do as part of our provision to have meaningful lives, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, there are many things other than training. I mean, there are many things staff can do to help people, you know, increase opportunities around this. I mean, an example would be setting up like an LGBT group, like a coffee morning. Yeah. It doesn't really cost anything. You just need a place to go and meet for coffee, you know, yeah. and a staff member to, to do that for an hour, you know, setting up things like that, making, you know, yeah, you said like date, date nights, you know, we've seen people just setting up social groups for people, um, yeah. you know, just trying to get more. I mean, one of the things I'd sort of give an example of is, is if someone makes a connection with somebody, how can the also say someone's in a day service, in a day service, like in any kind of day service, and then someone sparks a, a connection, what can the staff team do to help facilitate that connection outside of that one setting? Yeah. So could they come over for dinner? I give this example the other day, like a lot of people think we we're talking about with children. I'm not comparing people, adults to children. But like how some people learn how to develop friendships and relationships, like you know, you'd invite them over from school, they invite them over for dinner, then invite them out on somewhere, then take them on holiday. Yeah, yeah. You know, make that relationship more built up, more, more, more real. And I and I talk to staff and I sort of say like that's how we need to think sometimes about relationships with people we work with. How can we help them to develop this 
into a more meaningful relationship and sometimes they might not know how to make that or they might not know or they might not have the ability to make that into a more meaningful relationship without your help so it's like how can you help them go from just being someone they see at the day service to being someone that's much more integrated meaningful in their lives so yeah Yeah. absolutely that can definitely be a way people can help and don't think one of the things that one of the things that that i don't think we could we could have this conversation without um mentioning is the issue around mental capacity and i don't want uh, to to spend you know we could go down a rabbit hole with that couldn't we oh yeah it's even about the mental capacity that's a thing i would never get asked to deliver training because that's all people want to get me up yeah yeah because it will come up eventually and I, I think for me there is something about in the spirit of the mental capacity act the purpose of that was always about supporting people to do things that they have the ability and the capacity to choose to do not necessarily to use it as a tool to stop people doing things and i'm guessing that that is really important in this particular area of work is that that yes we do need to protect people but we can also use the mental capacity act to to show that we're actually supporting people rightly to engage give, in, in relationships. I'll give you I'll give you a really good example of that was I was working with a team and I was providing some external training um last week, this week, last week. And um and they were saying um they were saying um they were saying that they were supporting somebody and, and they were saying but it's not as easy like that. You know, there's so much paperwork involved, you know, all the risk assessments and mental capacity assessments you have to do. And I asked what well, what was the situation? And someone had gone out on a date, they'd gone for a meal. And I said, and they needed to do a mental capacity assessment and a risk assessment. I said, were they on their own? And they were like, no, the staff were there. And I was like, well, what are you assessing? And they're like, well, you know, all the work that had to go into it, you know, because what if they were sexually assaulted? And I was like, in the restaurant. And they were like, well, what if they went to kiss them goodbye and they didn't want it? And I was like, you know, there had to be, did they understand what a relationship was? And I was like, hang on you're going a bit ahead of yourself here they were literally going out for dinner with someone that they'd met that they liked I said you know but, but they, 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 they you know, they've got quite complex needs and I was like you know are they going to have sex are they alone I was like no they're not at this stage all you need to be doing is supporting that person on a date you might want to talk about that in advance how might they react if someone goes to kiss them and they don't want to what would they say you know that's just good dating or what if they say they want to date you again and you don't want to go on another date what might you say helping people to think about it I said but there's no need to be doing capacity assessment or capacity assessments for going on a date there's no capacity test for being in a relationship there is around sexual relations and obviously we want people to be safe and obviously we want people to be um, not being you know at, at risk of sexual abuse but I mean we're talking about going out for dinner yeah know, it's not a high risk activity um so it was you know it's one of those things where i think sometimes there are back i think sometimes staff think there are more barriers than there than there are and and, it, yeah. and I think the capacity actually is the chief culprit of that yeah and it goes along with that fear we were talking about earlier wasn't it that that you know both managers and and staff sometimes feel that they they're going to be criticized either by family or by you know external you know auditors you know cqc etc for doing something but in fact it's 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 about looking at it you know what are the risks really of going out for me it's it's limited 
or we get ones as well where someone was you know holding hands or, or or kissing somebody and they were like but they don't have the capacity and I'm like but are they consenting to the activity yeah. are they a willing participant in giving somebody a kiss and letting them hold their hand how do they show consent how are they responding to the kiss how are they responding to the person if they're happy with it and they're not in, and you know if it progresses like it might be looking to progress to a sexual relationship and you have concerns it's always necessary to investigate but if if it's just kissing having a little kiss and holding hands there's no you know it's it's it and they're happy and they're consenting to that activity and you know then that's then that's okay I, you know we just we need I think you know when we, we need to be keeping the mental capacity assessments but for real for risk for real for real risk where something is happening that someone is unhappy with um, or they can't agree to it, you know, like with sex, it is there is a there is a thing there where people, you know, we need to make sure people are consenting to that. But a little kiss and holding hands, if they're if they're enjoying it and they're happy, then that's then that that's then they fair. are consenting. Yeah. What are what are some of the other challenges you hear that social care providers have around I mean, sexual relationships? Oh, yes yeah, so, I mean there are some real tricky legal issues I said there can be some issues with people where it's really difficult um we've had situations where there's been quite complex situations about whether somebody understands consent um particularly do they understand consent of the the other partner um, are they able to understand consent um we've seen situations where I was working with a team where they were talking about fluctuating capacity around there was a, a married couple that and we're living with dementia and sometimes it got to the point where the, the wife didn't always recognize her partner and was having to sort of explain to the team that that they would have to intervene and um, sort of limit and stop opportunities for sexual contact because because it was so difficult because at that point it was just a stranger you know what I mean yeah. him and, and it was a very difficult conversation and situation because it, the, the dementia had progressed to the point where the person wasn't able to consent so that there are there are serious issues and you know we get things around like you know um sex workers you know people wanting yeah. to act sex workers uh, the law on that has has changed you know there's been a recent judgment around um for people um the term is the mental disorder under the the sexual offenses act and then you know there's a legal ruling around what staff can and can't do to support people um, and it's left people quite concerned about that. Um, and we've sort of said to people that if you're uncertain about sort of some of the more tricky things, like the more the more complex cases, we've always said it's always okay to get external support and advice around this. And there are places you can go, um, you know, to get legal advice. You can speak, you know, borderline cases. We said where we're really uncertain about someone's capacity. You know, that's what the court protection is there for people can access the court of protection um you know and let a judge make those decisions um social workers said there are specialist organizations um there's supported loving um there's so there's shada there's the um the um enhanced the uk where people can get more um you know <laughs> advice around these kind of things and and, and i think people don't have to, shouldn't feel like they're alone um when they're in difficult situations like this it's always best to get get help yeah, I, I mean, I think sometimes people, I think sometimes there are, we talk about legal issues before and sort of uncomfortable situations people get in. I think sometimes people feel like there are more legal issues than there are sometimes. It's always best to check them out. But 
I was asked to support a team the other day um, and it was around somebody attempting to masturbate in the living room um, and they were directing him to his room and he would go into his room but it transpired that he wore a pad um, and wasn't then able when he was taken to his room access his genitals um, and I said to the team then they need to help him uh, you know give him help him remove his pad and help him remove his um, his, his trousers so he can have some time to to you know spend time out of his pad where he can you know feel free to to to, to explore his body and and you know they they were kind of asking about well, what are the legal ramifications around this and I but like I've sort of said there there aren't there aren't any <laughs> like and they were like are you and and I had to write it out in a plan and like, I said there aren't any I said because you are you're not inciting you're not inciting sexual activity he's already trying you're just yeah. you're just helping to, for him to be able to to touch his his own body um but that that you know anything around sometimes you know this is you know this is this is a team that were very uncertain about you know they were just nervous they were just yeah. nervous so I think for a lot of people that they there are obviously tricky situations, as I've said, certainly when we get into issues around capacity, if it's very complex. Um, but I think sometimes there are issues where people are more nervous about it than maybe they they need to be. And we wouldn't think anything about helping somebody, I don't know, do, do, do some of the other things. You know, it, it, it's just, yeah, I think if we get into anything, you know, the example about the person who was working with an autistic person and they were saying, don't touch your trousers on the bus and then when I said to them no, you need to be really clear you need to be telling him he can't touch his penis on the bus and they're like can I say that word and I'm like you should be saying that that word because otherwise yeah. you're getting a really <laughs> message about touching his trousers yeah can I touch my pockets it's what's under the trousers <laughs> that we're concerned about that we need to be really clear um about yeah. that um and 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 like they were like literally made me write it down and say that I, I that was what they were meant to say because people were really nervous yeah but I think we need to take away that fear from people and I think that will come with training it will come with it being spoken about in care reviews by other professionals and I think that you know having this training pack now that skills for care have have made we've made with skills for care kind of you know give staff the sort of thing that this is part of your role ctc say it's part of staff's role to support people's intimate relationship needs and sexuality needs i think i think the more we we talk about it because it's happening because people you know it's happening and people are supporting people so i think the more it just comes out into the open the more we talk about it the less embarrassed people are going to yeah, be absolutely. and from what happens going back to that culture it's yeah. been absolutely fascinating Claire. absolutely fascinating and I just think it's so important for managers to to have this on an agenda and I think at the beginning of, of our conversation you were you were talking about you know when we all kind of think about our own lives and what's important relationships is 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 at the top isn't it so therefore it will, it will be the same for the people who are drawn on support so yeah. therefore if they're not able to do that themselves and whatever for, for whatever reason then then that's what managers and the people who are employed to support them should be supporting them with so yeah, yeah really and we good. spend a lot of time talking about the sex stuff because it's the thing that's like so it's the thing that interests a lot of people, but 
it's the relationship stuff you know we will you know somebody's been married for 20 years you know that's you know that's important but it's the relationship it's the long term you know it's the it's the it's the it's the it's the it's the companionship but all research that we've seen it's the companionship and the intimacy that's that's what really brings the value to people's lives and it's like we spend people get very caught up in the sex side of it because it's the bit that you know capacity issues and all the other stuff but it's yeah. like it's the relationship stuff that I think is mo- you know the sex side is very important for us but it's the relationship stuff that I think is most important for people to to, mm-hmm. to really start thinking about um and how we can help people to have more meaningful relationships so so important isn't it we um we have a a question that we ask a lot of our podcast guests claire which is um imagine we're on a lift on the 10th floor going down with a group of registered managers and before everyone gets out um you need to tell them what you think is the most important message so your key message to leave them with so it's a it's a short snappy message because you've only got 10 floors um to get to get it over to them what what would you say I feel like I'm going to repeat myself because I think I'd go back to my key thing at the beginning, which is that if we, you know, in our in our lives, relationships are the most important thing. And if we don't see, if we don't prioritise that in social care for the people we support, are we saying that the people we support are somehow different to us in some yeah. fundamental way? And if, if you know, if, if love is a human right, it's it, it it's for everyone. And if we don't, if we don't, if we don't support people with this as a priority. Then I feel like we're we're saying people are less than, so we should be looking at it as a priority for people. Yeah, that's a good Absolutely. good answer. And I suppose the other thing is saying with that is there's a free resource of supported loving. Go to the website, have a look at the toolkit, have a look at some of the you know webinars, you know all the other other support that you have on on there to talk, to kind of get you started with it. And there's the template a policy procedure that would be great. Really, really interesting conversation, Claire. So, thank you so much for your time today. And I'm hoping that everybody who are listening are really taking something from this and feel that they, yeah, you know, I'm going to do something about this. You know, I'm going to make sure that that whatever stage you are in the journey in terms of supporting people with personal relationship, that you you're going to take take something away from this and and make some change in your service. So, thanks so much for today. Thank you. And lots of people are quite. Don't feel like, you know, that, that you're behind everyone else. Lots of people, everyone has to start somewhere. Yeah. And, 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 and it's it, whatever, however small, start making a difference and you'll be getting there. Yeah. Thank Brilliant. you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye-bye. Wow. Wendy, that was really interesting conversation with Claire. Wasn't it just, I, I love it when we talk about things that just pick up some of the real dilemmas that registered managers are facing on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I'm sure that most managers will think, oh, this is a bit scary. I don't know how to, to deal with it. But then actually they, you just kind of have to, as Claire said, create that culture and start ha- just having conversations, even if you feel this outside your comfort zone and you're not sure, you know, just, you know, be brave and start talking about it and using some of the resources that, that the supported loving have and um, that we have as well. Uh, Claire talked quite a lot about the training pack that Skills for Care developed with, with the supported loving. Um, so just to kind of cover what, 
what that is because there's quite a lot available so there's a supporting personal relationship guide so that sort of sits alongside it that's that was developed a little while ago a few years ago and what sort of kind of fairly new is this training material um which is uh you know you can kind of look use it as a facility facilitator guide so if you have got a trainer yourself they can use that uh, there's a lesson plan there's some slides but you could also do as one of the things claire was saying about taking bits of it and just using that in a team meeting so if you don't if you work in an organization where you don't have a, your own trainer you're not able to provide training just taking bits of it and talk about in in team meetings can be really helpful as well there's also a number of handouts again some of those handouts you could perhaps use as a bit of a a, a kind of a, a you know something you can talk about in a in a team meeting there's a webinar that we recorded with um alongside this kind of explains a bit more information about about all those uh, bits of um, documents that you can use and then also a huge database of all the different learning material that's available elsewhere so just lots of information to to help you to have this on the on the agenda in your service that's just a huge amount of stuff that's available for yeah. registered managers isn't it to start and, tackling this issue but yeah and all free yeah absolutely and it also links in to some of the skills for care resources obviously our caring cultures toolkit yeah which is broader than thinking about personal relationships and is thinking about cultures more generally but it's yeah. about creating that open culture within your service where it is okay for for staff to ask those difficult questions or discuss those topics that they might feel a little bit awkward or uncomfortable about about broaching um, yeah. So, you know, I, I think there's a real um, set of, of materials and resources there for managers who are now thinking, oh, I think I need to do something about this. Where, yeah. should I, where should I start? Yeah. And I think, you know, Claire talked about it several times and you about if you have that culture that you can ask questions, if you're not sure that you can have com open conversations, uh, both in supervision and in staff meeting as part and, and part of conversation with the people that are supporting, you're kind of halfway there, even if you haven't done anything else. As long as those conversations can be free and open, it makes us a huge difference. It really does. She, you know, she actually said, didn't she, you know, we need everybody needs to start somewhere. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting. And I think, um, and, and I suppose slightly scary, really, in a way that, that before 2017, there wasn't really anything around, you know, and over the last few years, uh, obviously, with, with Claire's support, we, so many other resources have been developed. So, you know, and it's, it's quite rightly so. It is personal relationship is important to all of us. So that's it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Um, all the resources that we've spoken about will be in the show notes and all the resources that Claire spoke about will be in the, in the show notes as well and on the website. Um, hope you have enjoyed today. Um, if you have enjoyed it, please tell another manager about it um, and, and make sure that other managers are aware of the care exchange. And thanks very much for today. Bye. Thank you. Bye.